Today on the Bible Archives, we are just looking at Genesis chapter 9, which is a connection to Genesis chapter 6 through 8, but it's kind of different from those. The story takes on a new shape, and that leads into the last part of the primitive history, which is Genesis 10 and 11. So we're going to do chapter 9 by itself, and we just saw that a new creation, a a restarted creation. The second creation has happened. And so this is the aftermath of that. Uh, so it starts with uh, it starts with a similar line. Yeah, we see where God now reiterates that command for human beings to multiply and fill the earth. But we do see one little difference. Um, God has realized perhaps the violence of humans, that they have this need to, to kill. And so he is going to allow them at this point to eat animals. Before human beings had been vegetarians, all the animals on all creation had been vegetarians. Now God is allowing for human beings to do that. And the only concession he has is that you're not allowed to eat the blood of the animal. And we'll talk a little bit about that, how the blood is the life in the animal. And then he establishes a covenant and he puts the rainbow in the sky, something else we can talk about a little bit more. So I think you had some things that you could then kind of cover in this, yeah, right, because Tyler? The line, the line that's used is that fear and dread okay. uh, were on all of the animals. Like, why? Why is there fear and dread? So that should tip our hats to there's a very uh, explicit connection Mm -hmm. being made here. And it includes every animal category, which references creation again, all the different categories you get throughout Genesis 1, Genesis 2. However, you might think at this point, because of what we just saw with the Levitical imagery, that it would split it up into clean and unclean here. And it doesn't do that. It includes all of them. And I, I do think that's important. Um, so when I read this, I go like, did something happen on the vessel where like Noah went into a fit of rage and all the animals <laughs> get scared? So they come off and they're like, wow, humans are kind of messed up. Um, or does, like you mentioned, this fear and dread go back to what caused the flood in the first place? All right. So you think about the first creation. They're told... Uh, nothing with the breath of life can take the breath of life from anything else. So this would mean that animals aren't killing each other, humans aren't killing each other, and humans aren't killing animals. So the implication is that everybody's a vegetarian. Um, And and people definitely use that uh, depiction for why they're vegetarians. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, as the story progresses, what we see is that um, humans start taking the breath of life from each other. You saw this first with Cain and Abel, and then it grows to where it's happening like with all of humanity. So yeah. it started out with a couple brothers, right, fratricide, and now it's mass murder. And so instead of God saying, I give you every plant to eat, that now gets extended. I give you every moving thing to eat. Mm-hmm. Are humans in Genesis 6 through 8 so violent that God concedes their violence as long as they don't kill each other. Yeah, that's what it almost seems like. Yeah. It seems to me like this is a concession, Mm -hmm. right? I assume that there's a bit of mourning involved. You know, it's not a celebration. It's not, this is not how it's supposed to be. And, And again, you could look at this as another hedge of protection that God puts in place. And it's at the animal's expense, which think back to Genesis 3. Where do you think they got the animal skins from to cover up their nakedness? 
An animal. Mm. Yeah, sure. So because of human overextension, an animal suffered. Okay. An animal died. Yeah. Now, this human uh, overextension is at the expense of creation. It, it's it's a way, it appears to be a way to curb unnecessary violence by allowing the killing of animals. So it's not just about like, what are humans supposed to eat? It's what's going on with human beings that they might be inclined to take out a particular amount of violence on a creature. And does God step in to intervene and say, don't do that to each other. I, I would love for you to not be violent towards anything. But if you are so dedicated to this premise, at least don't do it with each other. It's kind of interesting because when we do get to the book of Leviticus, finally, we'll find that there are certain rules and boundaries and the ways that you're allowed to kill an animal and the places you're allowed to kill them that helps to even kind of put a framework onto this. Yeah, and and that's what, you know, this progression is. You want to understand Leviticus 11. Well, first you got to start in Genesis 1. Sure do. And the breath of life command. And then you got to look at Genesis 9. And you have to understand why did God make this concession here in Genesis 9? And then you fast forward to Leviticus 11, and that's what you see. Right. You see that. Now that gets constrained even further. Very specific requirements. You can't just go around killing all right. these animals. So it's like God is curving excessive violence all the time. Um, it's not just about what to eat. It's about how you interact with the world around you. Right. So then from there, we get uh, uh, the no-kind commandments. And that starts with this whole thing on the blood where... Um, the, the the humans are told that they cannot eat the flesh with blood in it because that is for them the essence of life. Um, and I have an interesting uh, addition is that God will require yours if you don't follow this rule. Yes, he does. Uh, and this leads to a conversation on whether or not, you know, we should eat black pudding or blood sausage and what's the rule on that? What's the morality on that? Don't get it, me going there. <laughs> and and, and it, it just, uh, again, we can miss the point here. Sure. Because this references strongly the image of God as a reason why you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is the first time we see that, that what's usually referred to as the Imago Dei come in as a reason to behave in a particular way. Okay. Um, but it's this is where I see it as a concession. You can eat the animal, but you still have to respect the life. And yeah, there's this mystic understanding that a person's life comes from their blood. Right. So you're going to eat their flesh fine, but you you, you know you can't you can't you got to respect that animal's life. You got to honor the life because the life came from God. That's yeah. the image of God that you're messing with there. Don't do that. Yeah, this and isn't that, something that belongs to you. <laughs> yeah, and that gets ingrained in in the consciousness. And uh, unfortunately, when we get caught up with going like. You know, we don't have to eat kosher because God did away with the old commandments. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's not a bad thing to respect the life of things, to Absolutely. respect the Imago Dei within other things. That's actually mm-hmm. really good. Maybe we should listen to that. I don't know. People get weird about this stuff. <laughs> um, but then again, right after this, reiterates again, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. Which I just think is great timing. Like, mm-hmm. you guys are excessively violent. We're going to curve it. You're going to eat that stuff, but don't disrespect the life. Honor the life. And uh, be fruitful and multiply, which means if you keep killing each other, you're not going to keep multiplying. So can you please stop with the, the whole <laughs> violent killing kind of thing? Um, so, yeah, a lot of that conversation happens. 
Uh, and then, and then Genesis nine goes into conversation on the covenant with the descendants. And if you remember back to Genesis six, I had said, when we're introduced to Noah in that chapter, we're told, um, that, uh, about his genealogical line, his family, it's going to end up being in the boat with him or the boat. Here I go in the (laughs) box. Um, and this is why the refrain of Noah's family has been so up, so important up to here. Because the covenant being made is not just with Noah. It's with all of them. Even the creatures yeah. are included in this covenant. And that's the first time we see this. Uh, so, so we might want to pay attention to what's going on here. So it's not just a covenant with Noah. It's not just a covenant with Israel necessarily. It's through Israel or mm. what will become Israel. Right. It's a covenant with Noah and his descendants, Uh and it includes all of creation with it. Yeah. So we've got to go, so what's the covenant? Um, The the first thing that we're going to see is that God won't cut off the the fleshness of humans, Mm -hmm. which I read and I go, well, you're going to end up cutting off some flesh, but that's coming up soon in the later (laughs) chapter in Genesis. Um, the other thing is that God will not, not again cause a flood in order to return to the original state of creation. So the idea that waters will not again cover the earth in the tohu, vavohu, darkness, chaos of uncreation. That won't happen again. But God also alludes to, we're going to have to find another way to mitigate the problems and bring new creation, which kind of implies that this isn't the end. No. This wasn't the last time this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the essence of the covenant. And then we're told about this bow. That's a sign of the covenant. A remind The bow acts as a reminder of the covenant. Yeah. And this would have been associated with a weapon. Yeah. And what's kind of neat about this, everybody loves the rainbow story. And what they don't really realize sometimes is that this definitely refers to a weapon like a bow like he would use in archery. And the imagery is as if God is hanging it up to say, I'm done being with the violence here. But it actually goes back then to the another, again, the Mesopotamian story of the Enuma Elish, where um, after the gods kill Tiamat, who is that chaotic water being, um, they have built the ziggurat, the, which is a tower, which we'll see later on in the Tower of Babel story here, but it's like they build this tower of ziggurat and it's the gods that build it and then the gods go in there and they basically have a party. It even says they bring out the cups of beer. So they're here at a banquet and one of the one who has killed Tiamat brings in his bow and it's this beautiful weapon and the gods kiss the bow and they give it names. There's three names given, but the final name that it gives it is uh, the bow star and it says... To quote, he made it shine in the sky. He fixed it in its heavenly position along with its divine brothers. So that imagery of a bow is in there. But in this case, it's as if God is hanging up God's bow and saying, no more. This is going to be different. Yeah, there, there's no human uh, directive to this. Right. There's no divine nature of the bow. Mm-hmm. This is a, a no other gods involved act in of this. God's own volition. Again, yes. it's emphasizing a polemic against those cultures, emphasizing uh, the, the transcendence of this God in mm-hmm. comparison to those deities. Yeah. And taking something that would have been spoken about in cultural consciousness, the rainbow, sure. yeah. and saying, actually, we, everything they've been saying, they, that's, they're actually wrong about yeah. that. Yeah, it makes it so much more meaningful. Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then great line, verse 20 in, uh, in this chapter, Noah 
and Adam of the soil, and again, uh, why do we translate it human or man here, but in Genesis 2, we have to translate it Adam? You know how people do that? Oh, yeah. Where it's like it's Adam because that's the guy, but then we get here. But that's the Hebrew word is the same. Mm -hmm. Noah and Adam of the ground or Mm -hmm. uh, of the soil um, was the first to plant a vineyard. Noah makes wine. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I just think this is an etiology as well. So it wasn't Pan, it wasn't Bacchus. Right, right. Who, Who made the wine? Just Noah, a regular old human yeah, guy. Yeah, not a god. Not, this is not a gift from the gods, although some people think so. <laughs> yeah, and, and people still talk about like sure. ah, yeah. this this Food beer the is the nectar of the gods. Yeah. Um, but here you have included that yeah. a, an etiology going like, yeah, uh, Noah, this regular human person, mm-hmm. uh, created wine. Okay. You know, not whoever else. Right. So you uh, just paying attention that you get a bunch of that, um, and then. You get one of the most interesting stories in this is crazy in Genesis, uh, the nakedness of the father. So tell us what happens. <laughs> well, guy, or I should say, Noah plants the vineyard, makes wine, gets drunk, and he's passed out in his tent, naked in his tent. So he's laying there naked in his tent, and his son Ham comes in and sees him naked. And instead of covering him, he runs out and tells his brothers, hey, dad's in there laying naked drunk in his tent. Now, the other two brothers then, because they don't want to shame their father, they take a blanket, they throw it over their shoulders, and by backing up and not looking, they cover their father then. And that then when Noah wakes up and realizes what has happened, he puts a curse on Ham. And there's a little confusion about whether Ham is the youngest brother or not, in different places, but it doesn't matter so much. It's the fact that that curse has been put on Ham, which then curses his son, Canaan. And that's a whole other thing. So I'm sure, Tyler, mm-hmm. you'll enlighten us about what well, that all the, means. The, the idea of cursing a particular person who's going to one day be associated with uh, a nation state or a tribe or uh, some sort of um, cultural identity is really normal, especially in Genesis. And this mm-hmm. isn't going to be the last time you see something like this. Um, so that all of that definitely happens. The goal of this is to uh, show why Israel is justified in hating the Canaanites yeah. and destroying them and taking their land. Um, so that's the, that's the the engine of the story, you could say. And, but a lot of ways this gets interpreted. You know, at best, it's um, you get this tradition of seeing someone else naked shames you. So the oh. brothers put mm-hmm. the blanket over them. They don't cover up dad. Mm-hmm. They cover up them because they'll get shamed if they see somebody naked. And that that's uh, a cultural truth within um, Jewish sure. culture. Is, sure. You know, we look at it today as if somebody sees me naked, I feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, for them, it's the opposite. Okay. Mm-hmm. At worst, you get, see, this is why you shouldn't drink alcohol. And those are <laughs> the kind of the interpretations that we get of this chapter. So uh, I'm going to rely on a former professor of mine, Susan Haddix, who uh, gave an alternative rendering of this, which is based, it's not fair because it requires you to know Hebrew. Um, But it's one of those, you have to pay attention to the Hebrew in it because according to this perspective, Amy, you made a mistake. You said Noah got drunk and passed out in his tent. And the Hebrew actually says her tent. 
Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, this gets better And this all the is time. important because the mother's tent is a place of sex and marriage. So you think about Genesis 24 and Isaac as uh-huh. an example. Yeah. Um, nakedness is also a reference to a sexual encounter. Right. So the nakedness of a father in her tent, the place of sex and marriage being in the mother's tent. What's actually going on here? I think I've heard this. Yeah. So saying uh, his father's nakedness references the possessiveness of wives. Okay, so I'm just trying okay. to make sense of some of the language right, here. Right, right. So Noah gets drunk and passes out, and the idea would be that uh, Ham goes into his mother's tent, her tent, and has sex with Noah's wife, which would also be his mother, oh, exposing wow. the nakedness of his father, the oh, nakedness of his father yes. being his father's spouse. Now, Leviticus 18, this. Leviticus 20, you know, this is forbidden this is Mm -hmm. dishonorable to do and it shames noah if it was just about noah being naked that wouldn't bring shame on noah that would that would bring shame on the people who saw him this brings shame on noah why well ham is trying to gain power and authority for the line of descendants on the earth by overtaking noah he's trying to get in on the blessings and the power to be the uh the the cap of the ancestral line post new creation Which is why he tells his brothers. Mm -hmm. Why would he tell his brothers if it was this forbidden bad thing? Mm -hmm. He tells his brothers because he's just accomplished something and he's flaunting it. And unless they know that whatever child would be born was from Ham, Mm -hmm. Ham would not get the credit for that genealogy. So he needs them to know, I just did this. So when that child is born, you need to know that it's mine. Mm -hmm. And then all of the ancestry after... Mm-hmm. We'll come back to Ham, not Noah. And this is why Noah is shamed. Does it matter which order Noah or Ham is in? It, it makes... sometimes they call him the youngest and sometimes not. Uh, I, I don't know that it matters in terms of the brothers. It matters now that he's, he's replacing Noah. Okay. So he's going to be the one to bear the fruit mm-hmm. that will pass on the covenant. Okay. His name's going to get associated with this forever, not Noah, right? I was just Noah, thinking right? of that younger brother thing that you that often is, see. There's that a motif a, of youngest brothers or younger brothers. That's worth considering, mm-hmm. right? So Canaan's the result of this. This is how Canaan is born. Right. Um, and so Canaan would have been the first descendant to carry out Ham's plan, would also be the first descendant post-flood, Right, like if we're looking at this, how is Canaan born? Because we all okay. agree Canaan's born. Well, mm-hmm. it, it's this isn't just a story about uh, Ham happened to see his father naked because he was drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later he happened to have a child named Canaan. And everybody hated Canaan because Ham happened to look at Noah okay. one day and I, yeah, saw I him naked. Yeah, I thought this was the curse but, put on Ham that goes down to Canaan. Yeah, then, but that idea of we look at, from children. I look at that and it's like, why? So Noah's just pissed because... Ham saw him naked, so he forever curses Canaan? Or did Ham mm-hmm. sleep with Noah's wife to try to steal the ancestry, which the result of was Canaan, and so Canaan gets cursed? Wow. That makes more sense to me, right? Um, and uh, so, so Canaan's result of this would have been the first descendant, and Noah would have seen all of this because his wife would have been pregnant. Right. So imagine like living with this tension for nine months. It's not just you slept with my wife, 
But if you slept with my wife and tried to steal this from me and do your own thing, so that's why Noah curses. But it isn't just Canaan the person, it's Canaan the ancestral line. Yeah. And this is the emphasis of the covenant and the ensuing generations. This is about legacy. So the covenant is for all of Noah's legacy. The curse now is going to be for all of Ham's legacy. So not just Canaan, his son, but Canaan and everybody who is a part of Canaan from here on out. Mm -hmm. So what Ham was attempting to do, well, Noah reverses it. And this explains the justification for destroying Canaan later. Okay. The names and the stories that you're going to see in these, they're always part of that larger narrative. And most of Israel's neighbors were described as being from incest. Okay. Okay. You'll see that again here in Genesis. But it's something directly countered by the Torah. So therefore, the Canaanites are a part of this, you know, based on this story and later being Israel's neighbors. Well, Israel now has the right to come into the promised land and take it because of that thing that Ham did with his own mom and Noah's wife. And that was weird. And so Canaan Canaan sucks. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the other approach to that text. Which wow. is much more fun than <laughs> much more interesting than everyone ever would have thought. Yeah. So much going on there. Absolutely. So that's that's pretty much Genesis nine. Yeah. Um so this makes for a shorter episode. Uh but that one kind of stands on its own. Uh so here from here we've got two more chapters in the uh primitive history or primeval history. Um and that's ten and eleven. Chapter mm-hmm. eleven, everybody knows about, right? Mm-hmm. The Tower of Babel. Um but yeah, I, it's my opinion you can't read chapter 11 without chapter 10. So okay. the next episode, we're going to look at both of those. <laughs>